if you look at the essence in the way they look upon people, it is Nazi. I mean, the way he's talking about people as trash, he defines a group not because of what they're doing or what they're thinking or how they're acting, but only because of their ethnic religious background. And because of that, they have to be deported. If you change, if you take Jew out of uh, Nazi propaganda of the 30s and put in Muslim in Rasmus Paludan's uh, propaganda, it's the same. This is The Danish Debate, a podcast about Danish society and politics. I'm your host, Peter Stanners. Today is election day, and Danes finally head to the polls after four weeks of campaigning. But what have we learned so far? The polls point at a left-wing victory, but do we really have any idea what sort of government we're going to get? We talked to Martin Krasnick, editor-in-chief of Weekend of Eason, to find out more. But first, we take a look at where the parties stand at 9pm the night before the election, which is when I'm recording this episode. The left-wing red bloc of parties is polling at around 55% of the vote. They've got a clear majority over the right-wing blue bloc. Traditional left-wing leaders, the Social Democrats don't look like they're going to improve much on their performance in 2015, when then-leader Hella Thorning-Schmidt lost power and gave way to the right-wing government. But new leader Meta Frederiksen does look set to win, thanks to strong performances by her allies on the left. The far-left Enos Liston, the Socialist People's Party and the Social Liberal Party are all surging in the polls, which is not necessarily good news for Frederiksen. Together on the left, the parties are far from aligned, especially on economic policy, so forming a government might be tricky. Current Prime Minister Lars Lukas Rasmussen knows this. He leads the right-wing Liberal Party, Venstra, which has ruled for the last four years. But while his right-wing partners are declining in the poll, especially the Danish People's Party, which sets to lose half of their voters, Venstra looks set to keep its 20% share of the vote and become the second largest party in Parliament behind the Social Democrats. Two weeks ago, he even shocked his own party when he proposed that the Social Democrats and Venstra should perform a, a unity government across the aisle. It's, it's a constellation that's not been tried since 1978. He argues that it's preferable to maintain a stable government that spans the aisle instead of having a social democrat government that would have to offer concessions to the far-left Enosliston, likely in the form of tax increases and relaxed immigration policies. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. The process of forming a government is likely to be a lengthy and messy affair, and we're going to have plenty of time to talk about it after election night. So, let's return to Martin Krasnick, editor-in-chief of the conservative-leaning Weekend of Eason. We spoke about why retirement and immigration are always key issues in the Danish elections, this one uh, this one included. Why no party has talked about fixing the tax authority scat that is riddled with scandal. And why it was right to call Rasmus Paludan a Nazi. Yeah. Mm. And I think we can start right there. So right now I'm sitting in uh, Martin Krasnick's office. He's the editor-in-chief of Weekend of Eason. I've got a, I've got a lot of things that I want to talk to you about, but you, you've got out a piece of paper here with the 13 yes, new parties. Exactly, the 13 parties, some new, yeah. some not. Yeah. So, I mean, it looks pretty chaotic with 13 parties on, yeah, on it, the list. It, it is quite. Right. But we have, if you look at the European Parliament election, mm-hmm. about 80% of voters went for the, the, the major system parties, the established yeah. parties. Yeah. Why is it that these smaller parties are, are failing to sort of break through or, or make a big impact? 
This is the question that nails the theme of this uh, election campaign because we, as everybody else in Denmark, has been looking at uh, the trends around us, you know, where you see huge changes, Brexit, Trump, you know, the old traditional parties collapsing in France, in Germany, in Italy, political paralysis in uh, Sweden, uh, things like that. And, and of course, and it, it looked that like we would uh, copy that in Denmark, that we would have this chaotic trend also in Denmark with new new parties coming out, up both to the left and to the right. Uh, and, and also with the discussion, you know, where, with a, a lot of uh, energy around uh, climate change discussions and so on, a lot of energy uh, around possible new parties where we actually had have, you know, two new parties in this election. So there was a lot of expectation that this one would be quite chaotic. It would be like a landslide, you know, like we had in the 70s in Denmark, which totally changed the political landscape. Just like you're asking it, it hasn't happened and it doesn't seem to happen. In the European election, 80% voted uh, for for the big main traditional parties and it looked like it will happen again. Uh, These new and very loud and, you know, energetic parties will, are are just around, uh, around the threshold of two, two, two percent and might not even enter the, the parliament. Why is it like that? And the Danish political system and Danish political culture is, is, is very strong in the sense that we are very good to put it in a short way uh, to inviting everybody inside you know to the to the around the, the dinner table everybody from communists to na- national uh, nationalists to the right say come on let's hear what you have and let's discuss so we have this political culture that is in its essence very tolerant and also Maybe as a consequence of that, uh, political parties that are quite good at adapting, looking at trends, adapting to where the voters are. So what you've seen is that, that, that what looked like, you know, some very, uh, you know, a lot of energy around Trump course to the right, al- the alternative to the left. And also at some point during the election campaign, the Christian Democrats, you know, a new, fresh, humanistic, uh, conservative party, uh, a one-person party, Klaus Rieske-Petersen, a former uh, businessman. Convicted businessman. A convicted businessman who <laughs> came out of jail and yeah. now wanted to do everything totally different uh, and change the political culture totally. All these elements are, you know, are attracting a lot of attention. But when it, you know, when it comes down to voting, they look like that they will be quite small. I mean, everybody's been talking about this being a climate election um, and and everybody I've spoken to has, has really illustrated this, but I, I thought it was interesting that you wrote that really it's, it's actually the same topics as always, yes. actually. And it's retirement and immigration. I liked you, you placed it. It's when can I stop working and how can we stop foreigners getting a piece of the pie? Yeah. Um, why are these questions so important uh, today? The, 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 these are the two main questions uh, that, defines, uh, that define uh, Danish elections and have Defined it, you know, for for uh, I was just about to say centuries, but decades, and it's quite you know logic that you have a little frightened welfare state, and that that people will ask, you know, when can I retire, and when can how can we stop people from you know from getting in, uh, and and these two questions have been defining in, uh, and and the first question is is in its essence about you know welfare. And the second question is how to prevent people from the outside to, uh, to get a piece of the cake. And the fight between the two big parties, the Social Democrats and Venster, 
uh, is really about the. I mean, social democrats are saying, you know, we we are we we are defining welfare. We are the owners of welfare in this country. Uh, vote for us if you want that. And 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 Venstre are saying that uh, that of course that we are, we have defined uh, the politics around foreigners now since well for maybe 20 years and uh, if you want a strict policy there you had to vote for us and this is an eternal fight and right now they are almost identical climate i wouldn't argue that it doesn't it's not part of the campaign that would be stupid because everybody's talking about it i was just you know on my bike <laughs> to work this morning and you see you see we have these uh, you know election posters everywhere and the every, every election posters everywhere and they seem to you know, to, 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 to become alive, you know, with, there was a big party, you know, on the biking lanes with alternative, the alternative to the left who had a big loudspeaker and music and so on. And Enes listen also to the left also and SF also. And people were, they're fighting to be the greenest party. The thing is that it's not a, an issue that makes people change between the blocks. Eternally in, in the red block to the left, it seems to be very important. So the social democrats, are winning this election by convincing former social democrats, form you know workers or or people around the same social democrats historically to come back, and they're doing that to say by by saying that that we are you know we are guaranteeing welfare, we are guaranteeing a strict for uh, policy for uh, around foreigners, and so, so people are you know coming back, but but quite a few people are also leaving. The same amount are also leaving social democrats, and they're not leaving for the conservative parties. They're leaving for the for the for the rest of the left, and that's because of climate, of course. Yeah. So, so, so the climate change issue is rearranging the red block, the left mm. wing. Yeah. So, so you make this point that the that the left wing, so social democrats are pulling basically swing voters off across the right wing, yeah. and then they're being redistributed yes. across the left. Yeah. Yeah. And this is an important point about the biggest swing voter block is between the social democrats and the Danish People's Party. The Danish People's Party being a nativist populist party yeah. that's in many other ways of a social democrat party apart from their strong stance on immigration right. they look to lose at least half of their voters in this coming election from about 20 to 10 percent of the vote and that's because the social democrats have effectively as you wrote cloned the danish people's party for the last four years yes. yeah. and, and not just because of that because if if we want to if i mean if we're sitting here wednesday night or thursday morning and things have gone as they look 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 look, look to go. The, the the real conclusion here is not about climate. The the big story is about the Danish People's Party's fall. They have since two thousand and one, at least you could argue also before that, defined this issue. Every bloody election in this country, maybe since I would argue since the eight of the eighties, eighty seven, has been about foreigners. Immigrants. I mean, this has been the defining issue. The social democrats lost and lost and lost elections because of that, because the right wing with the Danish People's Party in front successfully argued that if you vote for the social democrats, you also get all the, you know, all the, you know, the, the, all the bloody liberals and uh, humanists to the left. You can't trust them was the main Argument and people bought it. Of course, as we just talked about, the social democrats have, you know, successfully convinced people to come back to the social democrats. And, and that simply has, you know, undermined the Danish People's Party. That's one thing. To the right of the Danish People's Party, you now have two new parties. New Borgerlige, new, new conservatives, and, uh, and, and, and Stram Kurs. Tight direction? Tight course. <laughs> 
and they are they they are they are perfectly capable of outmaneuvering the, the Danish People's Party in you know in uh, in all kinds of fantasies about what you can do to keep out foreigners. Mm. You can cancel the you know international conventions. You can deport people if they are committing you know just one one kind of criminal act, or you can just you know deport all Muslims if you want. So in that way, the Danish People's Party again. I have to stress how crazy this is in Danish politics. The Danish People's Party is in a very very impossible situation, and you can see it in this campaign. They have not come up with one single. Uh, proposal in tightening uh, immigration policy that I can remember and then uh, that everybody anybody could remember uh, can you what, what, is there anything because I mean either the social democrats would, would just immediately say we agree totally it's a very good proposal we agree completely or to the right you will have you know these semi-fascist or wholeheartedly fascist parties who, who would say it's not enough we can deport everybody all Muslims if you want so they are totally uh, outmaneuvered they mm. can't do anything and you can see that this is happening now to a party that never tried to lose before they are at loss they don't know what to do it's mm. quite amazing Yeah, I, I, I want to get on to um, to Rasmus Paladin who's the yeah. leader Leader of, of, yes. of Stram course yeah, yeah. and uh, I mean his his party has essentially called for for the deporting of of, of half a million Muslims in Denmark or, or people with Muslim heritage. He thinks they'll voluntarily go. If they don't, I don't know internment camps. That seems to be the that seems to be the gist of his his proposal. Mm. You're one of the few personalities in the media that's actually called him a Nazi. Why do you call him a Nazi, and why why do you think other people have such a hard time? calling him that well i did it because and I, I i really want to stress that i think that that you should only do this if you're actually you know looking at a nazi uh, and uh, and and it's also true that a lot of a lot of people are arguing that that it's 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 being used too much you know in danish we, we call it to play the nazi card as you probably know and i'm i agree it's been played too much uh, you know uh, but 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 still here is a guy who in the beginning of the campaign and also the weeks before was, you know, was talked about as being some sort of clown, some sort of, of, uh, of reaction to a political system that is in some way not uh, representative or looked upon as being too passive or whatever. Uh, some kind of uh, Danish Nigel Farage or Danish Donald Trump or something like that, where where we're, we're looking at what he's actually saying is if you remove all kinds of things that obviously are not like the German Nazis of the 30s and 40s, concentration camp, uh, genocide, and uh, and so on. If you look at, at the core way of talking about other people, minority, if you look about the essence in the way they look upon people, he looks upon people, it is Nazi. I mean, the way he's talking about people as Trash. He defines a group not because of what they're doing or what they're thinking or how they're acting, but only because of their ethnic religious background. And because of that, they have to be deported. If you change, if you take Jew out of uh, Nazi propaganda of the 30s and put in Muslim in Rasmus Paladin's uh, propaganda, it's the same. It's, yeah. it's basically the same. And of course, a lot of people don't like it, especially the parties and movements around him because they're fishing in the same muddy voting pond you know so they they don't want to because if you if you name a political a politician something bad of course it's also de defining the this person's voters so both danish people's party and uh, new conservatives uh, 
and also a lot of you know you know small organizations and movements on the right wing of course hated hated uh, this but but i think it was quite efficient in a way that it changed the discourse uh, around him uh, and that was also the the idea hi i'm james clasper and i'm the host of archipelago a brand new podcast about arts culture and ideas in Denmark. Here's a teaser of what you can expect. We live in a time right now where what we need the most is nuances. And I think we're working against nuances in general in the, well, in the world, the Western world and in media. And I think that what I'm trying to do with this is nuance it by just showing everyday life. Negative thoughts are the foundations for critique And as adult human beings in a democratic society, we should be allowed to be critical of, well, basically whatever. I've had people quit jobs. <laughs> I wouldn't suggest doing this, but call off weddings because they said they needed that push. And I've never had anyone come back yet saying, hey, can I talk to you? You really screwed up my life with that whole follow the fear thing because that thing I called off, man, I should have done it. They're always like, I needed that extra push. A chair isn't going to necessarily change your life, but there is something really kind of nurturing about it, both physically, but also aesthetically, which, you know, can make you feel quite good, actually. You can go into any gas station in Denmark these days and you can buy a skewer or you can buy seabuckthorn jam. Neither of those products would have been available without, without the influence of Noma. Well, I hope that whets your appetite and makes you want to tune in. To do so, simply search for Archipelago wherever you get your podcasts or visit archipelago.mothertongue.com. .dk. What's what's the right way to fight him? What's the right way to to combat him? Because he only got on the on the electoral roll. He got these twenty thousand signatures because of the massive media um, hype about him, largely because yeah. of far left protests at his own protest. So he does mm -hmm. a lot of protests. Where he burns Qurans. Yes. He's a provocateur. Yeah. The left wing, you know, far left showed up. They held these, you know, very violent protests. Yeah. It got a media a lot of media attention. It did I mean that that sort of backfired, didn't it, for the left? Yes, it's a very good question because it defines finds an eternal question about how, how should a democracy uh, deal with non-democratic or even anti-democratic elements. Uh, I mean, one thing I just want to say first is that there has been this struggle that we were talking about before uh, about who, 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 who's the harshest on immigration policy, the Social Democrats, the right wing, or Danish People's Party to the right. And at, at some point in the last few years, of course, when everybody seemed to agree on the, you know, the, the harshness of the policies and also the concrete politics, uh, the contest shifted towards symbols. I mean, because you couldn't really tighten this any further without, you know, uh, uh, retreating from the conventions or uh, the European Union or the human rights conventions and so on. So you had to convent, invent all kinds of symbols like, uh, you know, this island or the food at at, at uh, the immigration camps and so on uh the ban on on burkas the ban on uh, on foreign imams and so on all kinds of symbolic things that really didn't have any influence in in the actual actual uh, influx of immigrants so so when you have this this uh, this political debate that has become quite symbolic it's quite logical isn't it that at some point there will be a figure that say hey, well You're talking simples. You do want something really bad here. We can talk about deportion, and it's not a simple. We I want it. 
so at so, at some point during the last few years, and especially in this campaign, the Danish tilt to the right, which has been going on now for maybe 30 years, and has been described and criticized in all the international press, have hit the wall, uh, a kind of firewall to the right, and has, has in a way, you know, flowed back. And I, I think that's quite fascinating to watch. Uh, and it also is a consequence, and that's to an answer your, your question, of how democracy works. Because the Danish realignment between the voters and the politicians when it comes to immigration policy, politics has taken, you know, 30 years. And it has been successful. It has, And that's why the social democrats have not disappeared like in the rest of Europe. Because they have, you know, made, been part of this alignment. Now, Danish mainstream politics is quite aligned with how the voters look at immigration politics. And, uh, and, 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 and therefore you see a stram course. How do we deal with that? People are, it's just like I was talking about before. We are not, you know, turning away from it. A lot of people say we shouldn't talk about it. We should ignore it. We shouldn't really care about it. We should, in a, in essence, uh, censor it. But we're doing the opposite. Rasmus Paladin has been given exact, the exact same spot as any other party leader. He's been given the same, not the same, but the relevant amount of, uh, of, of airtime. And, and the reaction, I think, is the consequence is, is very uh, positive. It's been quite strange. You know, you've been talking, we've been talking in, in, you know, in primetime TV shows about how exactly do we want to deport these people? How exactly, what are the, you know, how, and who who is it? Is it all 700,000 Danish Muslims or is it only 500, maybe 400? People who, as you said, what about the people who won't go? Uh, it's camps. Where should they be? Oh, in Greenland. Where in Greenland? So so people are asking, or uh, journalists are asking the same questions to him as if it was, you know, any other issue. And you could call this absurd, and it has been absurd, but the consequence, I think, has been that the people now voting for him are, looks like they are not, are not people, you know, protesting that we are ignoring him, protesting, protesting the anti-democratic uh, ways of treating this guy, but only people who actually agree that we should deport half a million Muslims. And it seems that it's not so many people after all. Yeah, I, I think it was interesting that you were saying that the, 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 the things that have been discussed in the campaign are actually issues that most of the main system parties agree on. We need better retirement options for people who who are worn out after 40 years of work. We need... You know, we need to do something about the climate. You know, there's just a lot of agreement, um, actually. There's very little conflict yeah. when actually there are some major things that need, um, looking at. In, and one of your sort of campaign areas is the tax authority scat yeah. and the way that over the last sort of 15, 20 years, it was centralized. It was starved of resources. There were some catastrophic failures in these new, um, automatic debt collection systems that resulted in a, I think we're owed 14 billion kroner. And there's a 14 billion kroner deficit. Um, there's 12 billion kroner that was stolen by scammers who pretended to have mm. stocks they didn't have and, 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 and wanted money back. But nobody's talking about it. No, it's amazing. And, and, and actually, there's, it's not like it's getting better. In fact, the reports say that it's just as rotten in there as, yep. as ever before. Why is it that this is not an election issue? Why is making sure that the Danish tax authority gets back on its feet not some one, at least one political party's top priority? Mm. It should be. I mean, as you say, this has been a total scandal. And, uh, and we know as, I mean, there is some tipping point. Nobody knows where exactly it is, but there must be some point. 
I mean, it looks like it when you look at Southern Europe and other countries where people lose faith, confidence in the tax authorities. I mean, the Danish secret recipe is trust. I mean, this is this is why this country seemed to work almost better than any other country. I mean, you look at the 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 balance between the political system and the rest of uh, the state and the rest of the society and also the trust between different uh, groups of society and especially between voters and politicians we haven't seen the erosion i mean and, and you can talk historically and anthropologically about this issue the trust that is fascinating this is really what you have you you should understand if you want to understand denmark the, this issue of trust and and of course the 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 i mean it's quite important when giving half your bloody money to the to the state in taxes that you trust them to handle it with care and what has happened is that the danish uh, danish politicians and danish parties authorities have totally fucked it up by uh, digitalizing uh, the, the tax collection without making sure that it worked and also downgrading because of course you could argue that now you, everything is digital so you don't need actual physical tax collectors so the digital new digital system didn't work and they already sacked you know many of the physical tax collectors so so it has been terrible and there is, there were new numbers i think uh, last yesterday or the day before i think it was was it 120 billion 110 or 20 billion in uncollected taxes unpaid uncollected taxes it's an absurd number nobody knows exactly how many zeros there are in this number but but it's it's really a big threat to this trust uh, and why is it not an issue and the answer is quite simple and depressive it's because everybody's in it together i mean the ministry minister of tax ministry of taxes have been it's a very unpopular boring thing to be because it's just a it's a very bureaucratic thing to be. You're just there and you just have to look, make sure that it works. And and uh, and it passed between all the parties in the, in the last two or three governments. So everybody are responsible. So it's impossible for one party to raise this issue without anybody, everybody else saying, but you <laughs> weren't you actually responsible for this, you know, from that year to that year and so on. Uh, I think this is this is the, the obvious answer. But it's also quite interesting as a symbol of the broader welfare debate, because why don't we have a real debate about taxes and welfare in this country? There is one party that tries that tries to raise this as the biggest question, uh, the Liberal Alliance, uh, LA, which is a new party uh, and is being looked upon as a radical, radical liberalist party who want to dissolve the state and so on. But actually what they're saying is that we should at least have a discussion about taxes. Is it really impossible that they could fall just a bit? Should we have the second largest or largest welfare state in the world? And this question or this effort has gone totally dead this party is going to be halved they have been eaten you know at this big democratic dinner table that we have that we like to treat the revolutionaries with and we eat them for dinner and they disappear and this is what has happened to them where they were you know offered a government position and ministers uh, mercedes and so on are what they drive in and, and they are now totally eaten by power and this is also because with the welfare state, it's the same answer. We are all in it. It's uh, We are all, you know, 
the children of the welfare state, it's a non-political issue. It's quite, it's crazy. It's mm. amazing. Mm. I guess the final question is really, is there something that you have learned about Denmark from this election, from this from this four weeks of campaigning, which ends ends tomorrow, ends tonight, that you didn't know before? Uh, maybe I learned something that I forgot which is that we always dream of visionaries or even you know revolutionary thinkers who can offer a different way of doing this you know they could you know wipe the table clean and do it you know the dinner table again you know serve something completely different you know something more simple maybe and more fa- you know something more green you know something more more uh, whatever where the reality is that we don't want it we don't want fantasies or revolutionaries or visionaries even of course everybody is now talking about climate but in a very you know unpoliticized way i mean everybody thinks thinks it's important but nobody really wants a big change so, so all these parties who are talking about green issues they're saying they are not really talking about how we should actually change our lives because that then we wouldn't want it so the danes have you know a big appetite for for uh, for politics and political debate and also a very small appetite for for visionary thinking and you could argue that this campaign has proven the danish democratic system to be extremely efficient because this is what voters want and this is what voters get The Danish Debate is a new podcast about Danish society and politics. It's produced by Mother Tongue Media, a home for English language podcasts in Denmark. Remember, we've also got a fantastic new podcast about arts, culture and ideas in Denmark. It's called Archipelago and it's hosted by James Clasper, an English journalist based here in Copenhagen who's written for heavyweights such as the New York Times, The Guardian and the Financial Times too. Go check it out. It's really great. James and I believe there's a space for high-quality English-language journalism and storytelling here in Denmark, especially in podcasting. And that's what we're trying to do here with the Danish Debate in Archipelago. Please visit mothertongue.dk to find out more. In fact, if you like this episode, please take a minute to review us on Apple Podcasts or mention it on Twitter, tagging the Danish Debate or Archipelago. Reviews and shares on social media will really help more people find us, and uh, that's what it's all about. This episode was written, edited and produced by me, Peter Stanners, and published by Mother Tongue Media. See you next time.